Thank you so much. It's great that all of you are here. So the topic is augmented human. And if you are wondering what does the topic mean, just it's this. So this is the introduction to our topic. I could have used a, a, a weird Japanese cyborg picture as well for this start. But this is kind of more authentic. You see, of course, it's me. And this is the most popular picture from my big research around the augmented human for I was, that I was last year in Japan. And this picture has been published in German and American magazines and a short video clip about this situation spread well on Twitter. And that, again, led me to come directly from a conference in Glasgow today, the world's largest conference on human-computer interaction, where I've already seen the next steps of human augmentation. So this is things, for example, like this tail, which humans clearly lack, and if you didn't notice that before, according to the researchers, it helps you to reproduce forces in virtual reality, as you see here. So VR is going to be more haptic thanks to things like this. But as well, it could add forces to reality. So you get maybe don't lose your balance so quickly anymore if you move in reality. That's at least the vision of the researchers. And if you wonder if this is really necessary or if society needs things like that, I totally understand you. But I thought things like this again and again when I saw such ideas from Japan, which sometimes were a little bit crazy. But often enough, these developments come back to us at some point and then they seem quite normal. So I think it's the right time taking a look at the community of these augmented human researchers if you want to know how our future could look like. So this research started with a video sent to me by a scientist called Kai Kunze. He's working at Keio University as a professor. And he said enthusiastically to me that this is one of, was one of the best ideas in their community. It was about a man who needed more, sorry, <laughs> who needed more than two arms. There's a picture missing. Oh. Um, so you see him here. He always noticed that when he tried to open a door while well, he had a coffee cup and a laptop with him and there was a third or even fourth arm missing. And as well when he wanted to write and at the same time talk on the telephone. So he needed just more hands. And you see how he helped himself. He just used two robot arms. So at the first I thought, typically crazy Japanese idea, why should I need four arms? But then I could imagine some situations where it might be nice to have more arms. I don't know if there are parents among us, at least you will understand. And there are more situations where you could need, <laughs> I will get used to that, <laughs> where you could use more arms, like this, this guy here. He, need, he, he works something and he just misses at that time the, the, the arm to hold, to hold his tools. So strictly, but strictly speaking, however, my research around this topic already began six years ago. 2013, there was this conference in Stuttgart called Augmented Human. And in that time, I thought, well, what's, what does that mean? I never had heard about that topic like this. And I met this man. This is 
Ted Starner. And maybe at the first glance, it doesn't look very much augmented or expanded. Uh, smart glasses of all kinds were already by this time, or even was very prominent at this time, this, which is Google Glass, which he's wearing at the moment. Um, so he's a pioneer of so-called wearable computing. And he's one of the first, if not the first, to wear computer glasses. So long before anyone even thought about Google Glass or similar things, he, is, he, he was wearing computer glasses. Since 1993, he's wearing them full-time. So it's more than 25 years that he's wearing computers. And even at that time in Stuttgart, it was quite hard to, to go with him just through a city. We wanted to go to, to for lunch and he was always stopped by people who were interested and curious about his glasses and about his life. And he was really already by then very prominent. So we went for lunch. We managed it somehow and I interviewed him. And as journalists do, I wrote down in, in, in my notice book what he was telling me. And he was looking at me and talking and talking and talking all the time. And it was really quick. And I hardly came along writing down everything. And at some point he said, well, I'm done. And I said, what, with what are you done? And he said, with the writing. So he had written the whole conversation in his system by all the time looking at me. And he was really, he was quicker than me writing down all the things. Um, And he says this is his system, his expansion. So it's just more than just a Google Glass. And he, was, he looked at me a little pitifully because I was totally unaugmented. So he wrote, what he did, he wrote with this, he calls, he calls it Twiddler, this, this instrument. So it's a, it's a small keyboard which fits into his trouser pockets and which he can operate blindly. And while he locked our conversation, in addition, he also kept an eye on his emails and he wrote some things about me into his system, which he could find later on with one click. So in fact, he has expanded his brain with this system. When I asked him for another interview two years later, he didn't remember me. He just didn't see my email. He had forgotten me, which is totally okay because we didn't know each other and he's really many people want to ask him many questions every day. Um, so I asked a mutual friend if he could maybe draw his attention to my email. And then he called back and knew everything about me immediately. He asked, hey, Eva, how are you? It was nice back then in Stuttgart. How, what are your kids doing? And things like that. And that was really strange to me because I knew he didn't remember me. But this, of, this of course, was his system, remembering me, what, what, who I was, and telling things he could ask me. And when I asked him about this, he said, so why not? Politicians always have someone with them who whispers everything important to them about the persons they are meeting. So why not? And you should know I am quite forgetful. So sometimes I meet people on the street and they, they say, like you did, hey, Eva, how are you? And I just don't know who they are. Maybe I think I saw them before, but I don't know who they are. So maybe it would be good to have a system like this, which helps me and whispers me the right questions in my, directly in my ear or in, my, in that case, in his eyes. So I thought, okay, that's really interesting, this idea about human augmentation. Technique can help us with many things. And I've, I've followed this topic until then I saw this video with these four extra arms, and I was still skeptical about that. But then a Japanese scientist told me about his hack project. So this is a young man, young Japanese man who wants to marry. 
And here he looks a little worried because his beloved grandma can't come to his wedding. So this grandma is lying in a nursing home and she cannot leave her bed. So this young man is currently working as a deputy for his grandmother. So a robot could come to this wedding instead of her. And you might think this, think this is actually nothing more than a telepresence, telepresence robot, so not very spectacular. Uh, but yet it's, it's a little more. So at the day of the wedding, his grandma got, got this virtual reality headset. The robot is at the wedding. So this is really the picture from the day of the wedding. The robot is on the, at the wedding and she controls this robot with her head. So the movements of the robot. And she looks through the, the eyes of the robot, through the camera. So some scientists told me she has moved her consciousness into another body, in this, that case, in the body of the robot. And for the grandma, it felt like she was really there. So here she meets the bridge, or the robot meets the bridge, and then that person as well, the grandma. Um, and they hug each other. This is how it looks for the grandmother. So she's the mother, more, she is like the mother for the young man. He grew up with her. He didn't live with, with his own parents. So, so this bridge is her daughter-in-law somehow. And of course, she hugs her grandson. And I, I met a friend later on of the grandson, and he said for the grandmother, it was as if she really had been there. So this technique really made a dream come true. So after this film and, and discussions with the researchers, I thought, wow, this human augmentation has a real impact. And I told this to the editors of a Swiss magazines called Reportagen I would want to work for. And at first they said, wow, this is just a telepresence robot that's not new enough. But when I showed them this video with that, with that guy with, with his four arms, they said, wow, that's exciting. And then they sent me to Japan to research this. Good luck for me is that behind the brain, behind both of these projects is the same researcher called Yamen. You see him here. Uh, he's a young Syrian who has been researching at Keio University in Tokyo since several years. And in my eyes, since I, I worked a lot with him now, he's really one of the most creative researchers in, the, in his field around human augmentation. And I found him like this when I arrived in Tokyo, of course, augmented with four arms. And when I tried this as well, it was really lots of fun. So I could, I could control these arms with my feet. So I could, had to do every movement I want to do with my hand. I had to, or with the robot hand, I had to do with the, with the foot. And these movements are followed, of course, by trackers and then transferred to the, to the robot hand because it doesn't make sense if you control this robot hand with your real hands and, and you don't win nothing, right? And it was crazy how quickly... I got adapted to this kind of controlling my extra limbs. So I could high-five myself. I could even throw a ball from my real hand to the robot hand and catch it. So remember, I did that movement with my foot, so I catch the ball by twisting my foot and squeezing my toes. And I would never have thought that, that could, I could learn this so quickly and that this could be so intuitively. And, of course, for journalists particularly interesting, I could write something down, drink tea at the same time, which is very important to me, and um, give, greet my, my interview partner with a handshake. And most of the test persons had a similar experience as me. 
the control of these new arms was really quick and intuitive to learn. Yamen was almost a bit surprised because he and his doctoral supervisor, Kai Kunze, who sent me that video at first, for them it was a sign that our so-called body scheme is, is easily to expand. So body scheme, that means the feeling what belongs to our body. And these external limbs don't feel strange or external for, long t for a long time. So the scientists have made all kinds of further attempts to extend this body scheme. So for example, you can have a panoramic view and we can simply move our consciousness a few meters up and can also look behind us thanks to cameras. And again, test persons really quickly get used to this as well. So you can quickly get used to a perspective higher up than you and a perspective, a panoramic view around you, like you have eyes in the back. <laughs> so, but back to meta limbs, how Yaman called his invention, there's already an extension for that too. So you might see this is slightly different than the pictures before. There's a camera back behind Yaman. And he said, why should we control these these extra arms by ourselves. They could also be con controlled by someone else, so someone who is not at the place. So here this other person is sitting on Yamin's shoulders, more or less. This person is viewing through this, through this, this camera eyes behind Yamin. So Yamin has more or less the same role as the robot head for the grandma at the wedding. Um, so somewhere else in the world is someone sitting and he is moving his hands and they are tracked And the same movements are, are transported to the robot arms. And so he moves the robot arms like as, as soon as he moves his arms. So for this person, this is like really like sitting on Yamin's shoulders and interacting with part of, uh, parts of his body. So this allows two people to work together who are not at the same place, who might be even in the other, other end of the world. So for example, here you see what you could do with it. If this young man doesn't know how to do something, then he can just invite an expert to sitting on his shoulders and helping him with that. So this expert just, just sh makes the things for him and is not, he doesn't have to, to explain it come at, at the telephone. And of course, there's a next step. It's remote control. So as you see here, this expert who is sitting on his shoulders is controlling his arms because it's connected to the robot arms. So the expert in this picture, it looks like he's going to hit someone. I, I hope he didn't. <laughs> But this expert or this other person sitting on his shoulders or living inside his body more or less can control what he is doing. And there are all kinds of scenarios the scientists think about. So for example, an emergency doctor who can't come quickly enough to a place. So he could just simply take over the body of another person who is already there and could help the injured person. Or another thing, here's again Yamin who learns to play xylophone from a professional. So learning at all is a very big topic for this augmented human researchers. Many years ago, Ted Starner, that variable computing pioneer from the beginning, he showed that people can learn to play an instrument if they are remote controlled only. So they didn't practice actively, they just were passively remote controlled and they learned it. And he says, your movement memory is sufficient for you to be able to play that instrument one day. And I tried this out as well. At Sony Research in Japan, I met a man who uses this technique 
to learn play the piano. He used to be a pro professional pianist himself and he broke his hand because he practiced too much when he was a child. So he couldn't play piano anymore, but he found this topic still important. So he invented this exoskeleton. And what he did is he, he um, tracked professional pianists, the best professional pianists from Japan. And he transferred these movements into this exoskeleton for the hand. So what I could do with my hands, uh, I could play a tone sequence like a pro. I have a video on Twitter. I, I wasn't able to put this into this presentation, but if you want to see, look on Twitter. Um, then you can hear how, how nicely I played the piano, although I am not able to do it in my real life. And a doctoral student of Kai Kunze, the professor I mentioned in the beginning, perfected this already. So this at the moment looks still like maybe too many cables, a little too big. But in future, this will be much more filigree, maybe even invisible. I tell you how that works later, but at first we need, you need to know Yunri Kimoto because he's somehow the man behind, behind the topic Augmented Human, so he coined, he coined the name Augmented Human, so he's the person on the right side. And you see him here meeting William Gibson, the science fiction author who founded Cyberpunk. Um, and in his novel Neuromancer, people can beam themselves into virtual spaces for what Gibson invented the term check-in. And Rikimoto says he is really a big fan of Gibson and read everything about, from and about him all the time. Um, and the author inspired him very much. So he was really very happy that he was able to meet him and discuss his ideas with him. And of course, when I visited his lab, the first thing I had to do was to try out the project Checking Head, named, of course, after a neuromancer. So what, what was this? It was, I had to wear a virtual reality headset. Well, another person, and this is Kai Kunze I mentioned, wears a helmet with a camera on it. So I see via this headset through his camera. So I take the perspective of this person. So what I see, if, if I open my eyes, I see myself, as you can imagine. Um, and what I do is I do handshake with myself, which is really very strange. Scientists also call this out-of-the-body experience because you really feel like you are out of your own body and into another body. And really, yeah, it feels like this. <laughs> Especially when you shake hands with yourself then. So Rikimoto says, with this check-in technology, we can put ourselves into the bodies of other people and learn from them. Here, for example, is a dancer and a user can use augmented reality to directly copy movements from her. Or here, it's a, it's a talk of Rikimoto, a TED talk, and in the background you see himself trying to learn how to play basketball. But this vision goes even further. So if we think, how do we learn today? or do we find out things today? So if I want to change the tires of my car, I look on YouTube if I don't know exactly how to do it. In future, an artificial intelligence could identify the best performance for any given action on YouTube, for example. Then this person could, this who did this job, this job the best could demonstrate it and could be recorded with sensors and movement trackers. And these movements can be translated into electric muscles, muscle signals. So these movements can be transferred directly to another person if, they, if this person puts on a suit, for example, with electrodes. So this is a new type of remote controlling I, I got to know in Japan. So here you see a young Japanese researcher who is doing amazing things around this new type of remote controlling. So this is Yun Nishida. 
here on the left and I'm on the other side. Um, and I met him at the University of Tsukuba where he's received his doctorate. And here rem he remote controls my hand. So you know maybe this experiment with a pen. So here's no pen, but you see it here. <laughs> so one drops a pen and the other person has to catch it. And you have your hands directly above each other. And this is really not possible because our reaction time is too long. Because when you see that this, the person is opening his hands, then the signal has to go from, from your, your eyes to the brain and then from the brain to the hand. And when you close your hand, the pen is already dropped. But what I did, I catched this pen. So I'm really good. But no. <laughs> As you maybe know already, I was remote controlled via this electric muscle stimulation. They say EMS. You can see it a little bit better here. So at the moment, Yoon opens his hand on the top. His brain signals to his muscles is measured. And while he's still opening his hand, the signal is transmitted to my muscles. So my muscles in my forearm tense and my hand closes at the same time when he's opening his hand. And that's, that's the trick. And then I can catch, catch the pen. So Japanese scientists have many funny ideas what to do with this electric muscle stimulation. So for example, controlling facial exp expressions with them. So you can look angry without being angry. And maybe that's funny, but for them it was important to find out if, if it works with this fine facial muscle. So it's, it's more a research thing. I don't think that we are going to control our expressions in future like this. Uh, but there are other, other ideas about this. So I've, I met Pedro Lopez. He remote controlled me as well. He's a young Spanish researcher who had previously been at Potsdam and is now in Chicago. And in this case, the pen on the paper recognizes what there's drawn on the paper. It works like this, this children books where, uh, with that orange thing where you can go over and then it starts to, to, ex to tell something. Maybe you know it. So this pencil sees there's a car on the, on the paper and in the background there's a simulation running and the simulation calculates the wind currents around such a car. So if now I move this pen just from left to right, or I just move my arm from left to right, and you see this EMS pads on, on this arm there, the, the computer sees what is on the picture and is calculating the wind currents. And if I move my arm, I'm, I'm drawing this, this, wind, this wind currents. So did I draw it? No, of course not. <laughs> This, that's what the computer, I was just a printer, so your hand can be a printer in future. But what is even more interesting about that is that people who tried this out found that they did it really themselves. So who is actually active there? You feel it and I felt the same. You feel I did it, although everybody knew, including me, that this is remote controlling, so they told it to the test persons. But they thought, no, I have done it. And that's what researchers find really interesting and important. They say it's agency hacking. So they can make us doing things they want, and they even make us believing that we wanted to do this. So you could also say, say they are hacking our free will. So I have maybe to defend them a little bit, because this EMS technique is only working if you don't work actively against it. So if you think in the, you don't want to catch a pen and you really hold your hand like this and you don't have to catch it. But in future, we could wear chips under our skin that apply EMS directly to the muscle. Then this will be possible to be, to be, to be much more precisely. 
Yamin said to me, why should we use our bodies selfishly only for ourselves? We can share it for the benefit of all. And that's an interesting idea, I find. I was on a, on, a, on a summit of the best augmented human researchers, an internal summit, and they were discussing what to do with this technique. And they had ideas like, so we could remote control our children and stop them before they run into a car. Or we could remote control the murderer and stop it before he hits the, vic the victim. But we cannot only share our body, we can also share our senses. I learned this from this researcher. His name is Sunshini Kasahara, and he's working in Tokyo at, at Sony Science Labs. He, he most of the time he wears this red sweater, and often he has cables around his body, so this is a real authentic picture from him. And to demonstrate that we can share our senses, he gave me and three other persons VR headsets. And in, in each headset, you could see your own perspective and the perspective of the other persons. So it looks, if you look into the headset, it looks a little bit like this. So one, one of these rectangles is your own perspective and the three others are the other persons. And you don't know which perspective yours is. And the challenge is to find out which is, which is yours. And it, it's, of course, the best thing is to do it before you run into a wall. By the way, Kasahara himself can be recognized on this, on this pictures as well by his red sweater. I don't know if you see it, if he is here. So he walks around in between the people and is doing funny things. So for example, I suddenly saw a word that someone was hitting someone or was, was starting to hit someone. And I thought, oh, is that me? Is it my back? But I didn't know where I was. So here we can see this word. So how do you find out which your own perspective is? A simple trick is just to raise your own hand. Then you see at one of these rectangles, there's a hand and this is you. Just, oh, it works only, of course, if the, the other persons don't do it at the same moment. And Kasahara did many, of, many experiments with people and with this shared vision or this shared senses. For example, he put them into labyrinths like here. And again, it was amazingly surprising how quick people adapted to this. So they really quickly were able to find out of a labyrinth using senses of four persons. That evening I was sitting together with Kasahara and Yoon for a long time discussing the work. After we found out our way again, out of this labyrinth. So what could happen if they could, would combine their works? And they were really open to that because each other were really impressed by the other one. So Yoon can control people remotely as he showed with a pen. And you can also synchronize movements with the same method, of course. If, if you apply the, the EMS pad to the same muscles as, as to... As, Yun, you would just do the same movement all the time. So if all four participants of this, of this game of Kasahara would have be remote controlled by one person, they would all do the same thing and it wouldn't work anymore. If you raise your hand, all of them would raise their hand and you wouldn't find out who is who. Is who. But maybe that wouldn't matter either. Because where does our self end? And that was more or less the end of this discussion, or that was, yeah, that was really late at night already. Uh, what, who are we if we synchronize and, and share senses and movements? Jun said, if we share the senses and the movements, it's quite a lot of the whole persons. So the question is, are we shared persons in the end? Or is it important that, is our ego still important in that future? So I don't want to tell you or to dictate you about advantages or disadvantages of this technology. But 
I find it incredibly exciting. And at the same time, of course, there are things that we should consider about this. And I think now is the right time to discuss this, because if this is our future, we should find out what we want or what we don't want to do with this technique. So you could start it now if you like. We have a few more minutes for questions and discussions. Thanks a lot for listening. That's right. If you got any questions, please let me see your hand and I come around with the microphone. And perfect, you put your headphones already on <laughs> to listen to the audience. Okay, are there any first row? Perfect. Um, have you seen the film Strange Days? No, I haven't. You should, should. check that film out. It's a very old film, um, it's but it's a, it's a, if anyone knows it, it's quite a scary dystopian view on some of the stuff that you're talking about. Oh, it's about human augmentation? And uh, is it science uh, fiction? Yeah, science fiction kind of. You should watch it and see. Great, thanks a lot. I will do. Oh, perfect. Come around, wait a minute, a second. Thanks for a really interesting overview of this. My question is, um, should we have any criticism? Do you think there is still um, room for maneuvers, <laughs> to call it, uh, when it comes to the development of these technologies? Do you think we can actually uh, change its course, whether it's good or bad or... I think so. And, but I think it's important that we start this discussion now. And that's always my role with this new technology. So I'm a tech, tech journalist and I always think it's really important that society knows what, how the future might look like because we have to start the discussion now and at, not at the time when this technology is already there. And that's why I really, I'm happy that here are so many people already. It's quite late and I'm happy to discuss that with you and maybe you can share it with other people and go on with the discussion. Okay, last question, because time is running out. Yeah, I would draw on this question. Um, if we try to change the course of uh, this development, I can recommend another book, which it's called Nexus by Ramesh Nam, where there's an underground scene. They are developing a tech drug where you can share thoughts and remote control others. So I think if we try to change the course, there will always be people trying to do this in the background maybe of course it's always like this with technology you have good good people and bad people using it but i think i really want to, to to emphasize this this that i think it's really interesting if you think about stopping children running onto the street it might be interesting as well of course i wouldn't like to remote control my kids all the time but for that case it would be interesting so i think it's not it's not a bad thing it's it's just open and we, it depends on how we want to use it Okay, Eva, thank you very thank much you. for being here. Thanks so much. <laughs> If you want to talk to her, she is uh, five minutes uh, alongside the stage. You can talk face to face to her. Or we can go outside for a beer. I will be here for the next, until the end, I think. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Yeah.